we're now not in history. Well, we are still going back 2,000 years or so, roughly today, uh, as we continue in our consecutive expository series uh, subtitled uh, Seeing Jesus Together in the Gospel of Luke. And today we are taking up Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. Um, and that is going to be our passage today. And I'm going to read in just a moment. But I would remind you once again, this is the word of the living God. Hear it with careful attention. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The grass withers, the flowers fade, God's word abides forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask his blessing. Father, once again, we ask for illumination from you. You have given us your word that is faithful and true. But Father, we need the work of the Holy Spirit and the voice of Jesus to be with us today as we consider this text. Lord, help us understand and help us live in a way that shows that we are your followers, your disciples, 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In today's passage, Luke records what is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. Ergo, my title uh, there and there. Um, The Sermon on the Plain. Now, Luke tells us in the scripture reading that we just did a few moments ago that Jesus coming down from a higher elevation mountain came down the mountain to a level place where he began teaching the people and healing their diseases. Now, there's much debate about the Sermon on the Plain. Next to the Sermon on the Mount. There's the Sermon on the Plain and there's the Sermon on the Mount. And the question is, are they the same? Or are they perhaps not the same, but similar? Or are they altogether different? Not a lot of connection. A lot of different takes have been made on this. And before I tentatively throw my hat in the ring and tell you what I think, remember that Jesus had recently picked his new Israel team, the 12, the apostles, disciples that would become apostles who would now follow Jesus and carry forth his ministry going on once Jesus ascended to the Father again. And they were going to be the starting point for what God was now doing through his Son here on earth. As Jesus was walking through Palestine of that time and had been mostly ministering at this point in the area around the Sea of Galilee. Now today's passage, verses 20 through 27, once we get past the the background, as we're going to see in just a moment, verses 20 through 27 is not the whole section. I cut it in half because there are also, in our next time out, we're going to see chapter 28 through 49 as this Sermon on the Plain continues. We're getting part of it today. Next time, we'll pick up the other part of it. But you see, in both cases, this passage, this one and the one next, this passage represents the essence of Jesus' teaching throughout his ministry. His ministry was teaching primarily about the kingdom of God. 
And he did it in so many ways. He came at it in so many different directions. But there was always this central gospel kingdom message. Jesus was the king bringing the kingdom, long promised. And it was being fulfilled right in their very hearing and seeing. You see, he taught the principles of God's kingdom repeatedly, using sometimes many different illustrations, many different metaphors, many different examples, contrasting, comparing and contrasting the kingdom of this world as it is and the kingdom of God that Jesus was sent to bring. So you see, he taught a kingdom-centric message in various ways over and over and over again. So in one sense, it really doesn't matter whether the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain were the same or whether they were different or whatever because they were things like that were going to get taught by Jesus over and over and over again. I still won't totally dodge my take, okay? All right. Now, many of you have heard the expression, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, right? <laughs> Let me say that again. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Some people say that's sometimes, uh, occasionally, ministers need to try to do that. Well, what we're about to hear from Jesus certainly fits that bill. Uh, here's our sermon outline for today. It goes like this. The backdrop, the blessings, and the curses. Nope, alliteration didn't work. To, no way, to, couldn't make it happen. So that's, I know you're disappointed, but no. <laughs> uh, that's the three points of our, our message. The backdrop, the blessings, and the curses. Let's look at those respectively. Now, as the backdrop, what I'm talking about basically is verses 17 through 19 in our scripture reading. Uh, after Jesus chose the new 12, uh, he came down, as we've already said, the mountain to a place that was level, a level place. Now, does that, does that language itself prove where it was? No, we still don't know where it was absolutely without a shadow of a doubt but it could give us some hints you see the sermon takes up the remainder of Luke chapter 6 and is similar to the sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 so there's similarities yes indeed a lot of them and because of this similarity a lot of people think they really are the same event. Just, just looked at from a different angle, uh, different, different point of view. Uh, so if it was here coming, you know, th that's, that's how it's been uh, considered by many. But I'm inclined to think not for the following reasons. I don't think they are the same. Uh, I could be wrong, though. So I, I, if, you, if you can prove that to me, I'll be glad to, glad to listen. And uh, I'm tentatively, as I said, throwing my, my uh, uh, hat in the ring on this. But here are three things to keep in mind. 
there are substantial differences between the two sermons. A lot of similarities, but some pretty big differences. For instance, there are no woes in Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. There are, of course, in Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Um, uh, so, sec- uh, first of all, there are substantial differences between the two. Second, there are no woes in Matthew's account. And thirdly, Luke's Beatitudes are in the second person, you, rather than in the third person, they. I think that's pretty significant. It's being specific, spoken very specifically to in the second person. So, furthermore, one-third of the material in the Sermon on the Mount is in the Sermon on the Plain. So, two-thirds more is in the Sermon on the Mount. Only one-third of the Sermon on the Plain is what you find or less in the Sermon on the Plain. Now, I'm going to try to give you a little bit of visual help here. We'll see if this works. Um, yeah, there we go. Okay, uh, back up from that. Can you back up the uh, one more? Somehow, the, uh, no, there should be one more different, or maybe it's in, in the front of that. There should be three there. Uh, there was, there's three. Um, there were. Well, anyway, doesn't matter. Okay, uh, it, that is Mount Arabel. Um, the wind of the valley, the wind and dug is coming through, right through here. That's the that's the mount. I'm not suggesting that's where Jesus was. I think it probably would have been over here on the uh, 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 this this side. But the point is, you see this plain. This, this is, there, there, it's called the Plain of Gennesaret. And this would, if, as many people as it text, Luke's telling us, it would take a ton of people that were there, not just some little spot where Jesus found, a, hey, here's a nice flat level play, place. No, it was going to be a, need to be a level place for a lot of people. Uh, so this is one possibility somewhere in here. When Luis and I were uh, there many years ago in Israel, we went right by this very, very spot. Um, so, uh, and then go ahead with the other one, the one, one of the two that we have. Uh, this would be up on uh, Mount Arabel here, and at least shows you uh, here how close you are to the sea. And this all is, again, a flat, plained area. Uh, and maybe the uh, Sermon on the Mount might have been somewhere more like over here. And this area, uh, up against a hillside or whatever. Uh, again, we don't know for sure, but uh, that gives you a little something. Thank you very much. Uh, so more and more people were coming, many of whom were coming from very, very far away. Uh, as far as Jerusalem, the text says, and that means way south, 70 miles south, and all the way up to the Mediterranean coast, north, to Tyre and Sidon. Um, so, and that's there for a reason. Remember, what is Luke? What, who is he? He's the Gentile chronicler, uh, um, chronicler uh, for 
Jesus in his life and ministry. He's the one as a Gentile himself, and he points out that Jesus is drawing these Gentiles. Again, talking about showing what he will later do in a more full sense. So with the places like Tyre and Sidon. And they wanted to hear Jesus, and they were desperate for healing. And among them, there were some that were tormented with unclean spirits, uh, various diseases. And people were finally, there were, so, were such a crowd there, and they were pressing in on Jesus. They couldn't get near. Some of them were just trying to touch him. And if they did, they were being healed because the power of the, of the Holy Spirit was flowing out of Jesus. He didn't even have to turn around and say, oh, yes, in the name of Yahweh, I make you whole. He didn't have to even do that. People that he didn't even was consciously aware that he was being touched. People were touching, and everyone that touched him was healed of their diseases. Can you imagine what that day would have been like? Well, that's the backdrop. Now, what about the blesses, blessings? That's in verses 20 through 23. Now, again, I think a lot of times, I think people, too many people in working with this text or with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, try to get down and break down every single word. Okay, what is, what is meek and what is humble and what is poor and what I think in a sense we miss the big picture and I'm trying to at a more high level see how these things come together and connect to the whole work of the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing and how radically revolutionary it was and how it divided two camps one or the other um, so who are these people that are being blessed and for what are they? <laughs> so who are these people with, that are being called blessed? Kent Hughes gives us a helping hand in understanding what Jesus is talking about here. Um, and so I quote, Notice the sermon is introduced in verse 20 with the phrase, Looking at his disciples, he said. And that's very key. He's not looking out to somebody else, to some, anyone else. He's looking right in the eye his apostles and his disciples beyond them. His followers, looking at his disciples, he said, which clearly indicates that the sermon was specifically for his personal followers, the 12 and the disciples. It was not directed at the crowds, though they were welcome to listen. The direct second person plural Blessed are you, addresses his disciples. Not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not even other Gentiles that might have come at this point in time. 
Thus, we have here a profile of what a disciple is to be. Poor, hungry, sorrowful, and rejected. I think that's very helpful that we get off to the right start on who he's talking to. You focus on who is his target and then understand, try to understand what he is saying. So when Jesus finished giving out his blessing to his followers, I wonder what they were thinking. <laughs> Do you think maybe they were going, uh, uh-huh? Wait a minute, Jesus, uh, poor, hungry, sorrowful, rejected? That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. After all, I thought we were in with the king. We're, we're, we're going to be the people in power here. Are you sure you meant blessed for this? See, this seemed like an upside-down code. And in some senses, it was. You see, Jesus came as a new king. Jesus came as a new king of a right-side-up kingdom. In other words, Jesus knew that this world was upside-down. But it was going around trying to carry on as if it were plain and normal. This is the way it is. This is the way it's supposed to be. But Jesus was coming to bring a kingdom that would be right side up. Even though it would look upside down to those who did not know the king. Again, this, this is another great quote by Philip Ryken, and it, this is really helpful, I think. As Jesus began to preach his sermon, this sermon, he gave his disciples four blessings, followed by a tale of woe. He was drawing. Notice the, the tale of woe he didn't say was to, for his disciples, but he said four blessings and then followed with a tale of woe that implies someone else or someone's else. Um, he was drawing a contrast between two ways of life. There are blessings that come with godliness and woes that come with worldliness. But what brings blessing or woe is almost exactly the opposite of what most people think. How can you tell that God is blessing you? The answer Jesus gives is totally unexpected. He takes the things that no one wants, poverty, hunger, sorrow, persecution, and says that they have his blessing. Then he takes the things that everybody wants, money, food, entertainment, popularity, and says that they will never satisfy you. Jesus 
thus teaches his disciples to prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks is desirable. That is spot on. Let me read that last part. Jesus thus teaches his disciples, then and now, to prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks is desirable. And Jesus went on telling them and us When we go against the world's grain, when we go against the grain of the world's kingdom, it will provoke opposition from people who like things just fine the way they are. Thank you very much. Just leave it alone. We like it this way. But Jesus came to turn it all upside down. Or as I said already, right side up. But what he is assuring assuring us is that it will get you in a place that you may not prefer to be. You see, Jesus is saying when we live by the king's, code, following what Jesus can turn into blessing. But if we live that way, it's going to look differently to others, and we might end up suffering because of that. And yet Jesus says, don't worry about that either. Because that in itself, I will turn for good. He said, and by the way, you're not alone. Echoes of the plight of the ancient prophets long ago. Jesus said, that's exactly what happened to them. You think you're better than them? You think that you know God better than them? That's what's going to happen. But it's okay. You will not lose. You will not lose in the end. You see, the persecutors of Jesus' disciples here are not pagans or the world at large but in this case they were right around all around mixed in to this crowd and they were the leaders of Israel particularly the preachers and teachers of Israel fellow Israelites who will despise and seek to rub out Jesus and his followers. And that's exactly what they tried to do. And Jesus knew that. And so as he was looking at his disciples and saying, you're blessed, you don't know it. And it won't look like it, feel like it, but you are so blessed. But there's some other people over here that there's going to be a lot of woe for. Because they have turned against me and my kingdom. 
And they're trying to set up their own petty kingdom. And that house will fall. We'll see the other half of that next time. With the house on the sand. It's all connected together. You see, Jesus is telling his disciples, then and now, that recalibration is required. And we must choose our allegiance and the location of our ultimate joy. Jesus says, all those other things can't ultimately, even if they involve persecution and hunger, all of those, those four things, he said, I will turn them into blessing. You will not lose. Nothing can you lose if you're with me. And if I'm your ultimate joy. And your allegiance is to me, not to this world and to its standards and to its requirements. He says, how many people, they think, if I can just get the world and squeeze out of it whatever I want, that'll be good, just good enough. That's all I need. Jesus said, oh no, <laughs> you don't realize how poor you really are. The richest man on earth, if he doesn't know Jesus, has no idea how poor he is. Because everything's going to be turned right side up. Everything that looks like this is the way to live now, Jesus says, the way of the kingdom. It will be hard, but it will be result in great, great blessing. What about these curses, 24 through 26? The, apostle, the apostles and Jesus' disciples have so far been focused But now Jesus is addressing, as I already have alluded, another group. And for them, they are not blessings, but woes that Jesus pronounces. And they are directed to his religious enemies. That's who he's saying, woe to you. You see, this is not a, not a situation where you get, you get people and say, well, let's see, oh, this person's done this good and done that. and then, you know, Okay, this guy's got more than that, so this must be, they're more like leaning into this group. No, no. Two different groups completely with two different messages going out. You see, Jesus shows the stark contrast between the kingdom of God and the present world order now and then. It was then there. Or it was there then. <laughs> it's still there now. Same question. Same challenge. Same choice. It's interesting. The woes are just the opposite side of the coin of the blessings. Different side, but completely different result. 
Deuteronomy. Anybody know where that is? It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the five books of Moses. And if you were to go home and read chapter 27 and 28 of Deuteronomy, you would, you would get this amazing story, amazing event that God orchestrated through Joshua when they had come into the land. And when they went between and positioned half of the people on one side, on Mount Ebal, and on the other side, half the people in Mount Gerizim. And one of those uh, groups proclaimed the blessings of God. And the other proclaimed the curses. Once again, God was saying, choose you this day whom you will serve. Remember, Joshua went on to say, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the choice he made. That choice is always before. And this, Jesus is using both of these two metaphors, blessing and curse. Deuteronomy code of blessing and curse. And they are really, what Jesus is saying at the core is, there really are only two paths you can go by. One is a way of blessing, and the other is the way of the curse. There's no middle ground. There's not like, well, I, how about if I just kind of ensconce myself a little bit of the, of the curse? Look, no, no. That or that. There's no in between, there's no riding the fence. I love the way an artist, Christian artist, back in the 70s, it was pretty popular in the 70s and 80s, by the name of Ken Miedema. Listen to this way he puts it. One road leads to a potter's field. The other road leads to a cross. A cross is not where you intentionally want to go. But it's where ultimately the cross would bring the crown. And that is one road in God's presence with God or without. One road leads to a potter's field. The other one the other road leads to a cross. What do all these blessings have in common? They all share the kind of poverty that depends completely on God. It's not about how much money you have or getting down into. No. It's ultimately, what's your treasure? What do you love most? What do you cherish above all else? You see, they all share the kind of poverty that depends completely on God. And what do all these woes, what do they have in common? Seeking our own satisfaction. 
we're all a bunch of, most of the time, Mick Jaggers wanting our satisfaction. I want my satisfaction. That's why I, I'm here. I want to be satisfied. And I, by the way, I'll give God a list. Just like a Christmas list. I'll give him. Do you, do you see how, how completely upside down that is? See, do we depend on God or are we seeking self-satisfaction? We are blessed, you and me, brothers and sisters, when we are God-centered. Regardless of our circumstances in this world, be they good, bad, or indifferent, we are blessed when we're God-centered. And we find woe whenever However, we are self-centered. When we're self-centered, we're just saying, bring those woes. Bring them on. I love those woes. See, they will destroy you. They will take your house to the ground. Spiritually. Fellow Christians, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope you all are. And if you're not, I would love to talk to you about how you can be. This is the shape of the kingdom of God. There's no middle ground. Which do you love? What do you cherish? What satisfies you? This is the shape of the kingdom of God. The kingdom which still today turns worlds upside down. Or perhaps, as I said already, right side up. As much as it ever did. Think about this. True disciples of Jesus. Though they are poor though they are hungry, though they are weeping and rejected. God guarantees you will be blessed. You will be blessed. He asked me to remind you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we don't know how sometimes you turn what in no way looks like a blessing, but it is a blessing in disguise. Sometimes we get the, the joy of seeing it and saying, oh, Father, thank you. You didn't give me what I wanted. Other times we may not still see it, but that's okay too because you're going to bring your children through Father, let our satisfaction be in you and in no other. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.